Good morning, Anthem Church. Um, my name is Toby. I'm one of the eight pastors, elders here at Anthem, and it is my privilege to be able to speak to you guys today. We've been walking through an awesome series talking about stewarding and stewardship. And man, there's been some really pressing things. Chris, uh, two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, he brought a message about how we ought to be delighting and, and growing in depth with our spouses. So our marriage relationships, how do we steward our marriages? Uh, Nick last week was talking about how, how do we steward our children with a biblical worldview? How do, we, how do we help them know who the Lord is? How do we be godly parents and steward our, our children well, what God has given us? And so you might be coming to this sermon being like, okay, this is family, so how does this fit in? And I would, to that, I would say, yes, it does. It does fit in both ways, because today we're going to be talking about, again, the stewardship. Uh, Psalm 127.3 says, children are heritage of the Lord. Um, in Proverbs 18.22, it says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Um, in fact, 2 Corinthians 5, it, we could go into this, um, but it, it talks about how our lives are not our own because of what He has done for us. Everything we have, um, everything we have from our bodies to our families to our marriages to our children, they are from the Lord. They're not ours to do with whatever we will. They're, they're God's, and we get to steward that. He has given them to us, and He's called us to faithfulness. So Nick kind of stole my thunder which I'm, I'm not upset about it. Um, I wouldn't mention that again during a sermon. But uh, he mentioned last week uh, Ephesians 5, and it speaks of it like this, that we wouldn't be unwise, Ephesians 5 says, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So with families, not just our children, not just our wives, but the whole, the environment, the, the sphere of influence that we have in our homes, in our dorms, in, in our, our parents' homes, how are we stewarding that for God's glory? Where are we going with this? Um, what are we shooting for? And so in Deuteronomy 6, as we're kind of diving into that, we'll see that Moses has been building to this moment because he's been all along the way, he's been setting up the children of Israel with the history. Again, reminding them of where we have we come from. God's faithfulness to bring them out of the land. God's faithfulness to pull them out of Egypt, to walk them through the Red Sea and then they worship that calf, and oh, a lot of other history, okay, a lot of failures, and their disbelief, and their rebellion, and even Moses would not be able to go into the land because of his rebellion against the Lord, because of his anger against the people. He struck the rock instead of talking to it as God commanded him, and so we, but through all of this, we see the character of God through Deuteronomy chapter, um, the first five chapters, talking about the history there, and the giving of the law, how it correlates with his glory. We're going to get into all of that, and all along the way, the promises that he's wrapping all of us up with. If you, if you do these things, you will be able to stay in the land. Um, and so as we get into Deuteronomy 6, we see that Moses is delivering the law with a teaching to raise up our children and houses to the Lord, which if we continue this narrative, we were just kind of go for what happens after Deuteronomy 6. This is the generation that essentially Moses is, is talking to the generation that's going into the land. Like, they will experience the land of milk and honey, the land we've been talking about this whole time. But then by Judges chapter 2, we read that there is a generation that rose up that did not know God or the work that He had done for Israel. That's like, that's a generation and some change. Like, that's not too long in the future. 
And what happened? And I know it's not all on our shoulders, and that we're going to be talking about that today, but this is what we're talking about. How do we steward our family, not just in the now, but what is the culture, what is the environment, what is the temperature that we're crafting that is going to point our kids to a, be a better end than that end that the, the people of Israel experienced. And so here's where it gets tricky. It's not just about, hey, here's a list of 10 things. You do these things, you're going to be great parents, right, Zach? Uh, I shouldn't call you out. That's not right. Um, but it's not about just doing the right things. It's about a temperature that we're setting. It's like you set the thermometer in the home. Like if today, if it was too cold, like it'd be like, hey, Toby, great sermon, hopefully. Great sermon. Um, but also, it was a little chilly in the auditorium. Like, the, it, was, it was cold. I was really cold. Like, if we have the wrong temperature in here, it's going to affect everybody, regardless of whether we want to or not. And so, um, uh, I, I tell this story. I got Amy's permission to tell this story, by the way. So, um, we were new parents. Um, Amy was now pregnant with Lainey May, and we were walking through Hobby Lobby, because that's what good Christian parents do. I don't know what we were doing. I can't really remember what we were doing there. Um, we, were, we were walking through the aisles, and Amy was just, she was really upset because it was really hot. She was like, ah, I can't believe it's so hot in here. Why is it so hot in here? And finally, I think she, I don't know if she was at the point of yelling, but she was talking very loudly, and she's like, will somebody please turn on the air conditioning? And um, I had to tell her that the air conditioning was on. Eh, sorry about that. It's a, it's a pregnant thing. Uh, you get, you get uh, a little bit more warm when you're... And so sometimes your temperature <laughs> is some, a personal thing. It's not the, the temperature of the home. But I digress. Uh, what we're talking about today is where are we setting that temperature in our home? Where's that thermometer set? What are the ingredients? What are the things that we should be doing to craft an environment, to create a pacing for our families, our homes, our dorms that are going to point people to Jesus? And so this is... A, now... We can do all the right things. We can set the pace, but we still need God's help. We still need him to do the work. And so uh, let's pray as we begin because we do need him. And so Heavenly Father, I just come before you today uh, with these people. Lord God, we need your help. We need your blessing as we hear your word. I pray, Father, that it would just mix with faith. I pray, God, that you would change our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would challenge me as you would challenge them. Lord, thank you just for the learning that we get to have today, that we get to learn about your word, that we get to learn about love, that we get to learn about your fear, that we get to learn about who you are, Father. And I pray we walk away today uh, pointed to you, Father, that you would challenge and change and work and move. Lord, give us strength and change us today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so there's three things we're going to be talking about today, three points. Um, we're going to be talking about the three key ingredients, if you will. I shouldn't use ingredients because we're talking about temperature. But the keys, if you will, the reverent fear of God, an all-encompassing love for God, and the glory of God. Okay, so as we begin, I want to point back to the gospel. So at the cross, we see God's judgment on display as he empties his wrath upon his son. And it's fair to say that justice and mercy kissed at the cross. Or if that's not PC enough, they fist bumped. So they fist bumped at the cross, right? That's my first point, the reverent fear of God. Let's dive into verse 1 of chapter 6, Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land that you are going over to possess it, and that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your sons' sons. 
by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. And we'll, we'll skip down to verse 12. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him shall you serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you, for the Lord your God is in your midst as a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Man, that's intense. That's a, that's a pretty stern warning. Um, but we can see from the text, even if we look at verse 2, it's like, okay, this seems to be tied up with obedience. Like, we fear the Lord, we, we do his commandments and statutes, but really it's because we're standing in the light of who he is. We are looking at his awe. Psalm 33, 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, because he's our creator. He's our God from the very, from the very get-go. There we walk into the room, we recognize, if we were to stand in his presence, Isaiah did this, um, different, different prophets experienced bits and pieces of the Lord, and they saw the train of, of his garment filling the temple. They fell on their faces and they worshiped, I'm unclean, I'm unworthy, you are so holy, you are so mighty. You, it was all striking. He is a holy God. In Hebrews 12, it mentions that Moses was trembling. And our God uh, before the Mount Sinai, as the mountain was burning, uh, Moses was trembling, and it, Moses got to go into his presence. <laughs> and it says mentions God being a consuming fire, um, which is a pretty poignant picture of God. If you consider, that's how He revealed Himself in the Old Testament um, in Judgment. It says at one point I accidentally shocked Nathaniel a little bit. This is my young, my oldest son, because uh, we were we were going through Daddy Devos. And it come, we came to the, the story about Nadab and Abihu. I don't know if you remember Nadab and Abihu, but they walked up to the altar offering their own version of incense, okay, which God said in Exodus, do not do that. And they did it, and uh, fire came out from the altar and consumed them. So I was like, sorry, Nathaniel, uh, this is, the Bible's intense, but our God is a consuming fire, and there's something to be said there. We shouldn't overlook that. Additionally, Hebrews 10, it says... Um, if we continue in sin and count Christ's sacrifice as nothing, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. John himself, in Revelation, when he turned around and saw Christ, his, his friend, his, his master, revealed in full glory, he fell on his face because he realized this is the glory of God. Now, Jesus said, hey, fear not. And there's no fear of punishment there when, when we have that relationship with him. But this is fear. There's a reverence and an awe here when we recognize and magnify His goodness and His grace towards us, His creativity, His glory, if we just look out around us, we can see the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, it says. And so, but again, it also trembles and recognizes the reality of His judgment. There's a reality there. Just to look at the cross, God's judgment and wrath was meant for us and poured out on Jesus because of our sin. And so, am I thinking, okay, I get it, but how does this factor into that temperature you want us to set for our homes? Like, so if we hop back in the text, we see in verse 2 that it says, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons, and your son and your son's sons. You see, there's a progression there. Before your children will know, okay, I should fear the Lord, you have to start that. Before your, before your roommate knows, hey, there's a God that's worth serving, there's a God worth submitting to, 
you need to be living that out. And it's a, it's a fear that leads us to his obedience, okay? So where's your thermostat set? Is there something that we fear instead of the Lord? Um, it, for me, sometimes it can be people. Yeah, you might be surprised a little bit. I'm standing up in front of a bunch of people. Um, but will I love my spouse or will I love my kid or will I love my roommate enough to confront them if they're sinning? If they're not walking with the Lord, because I fear God, because I love them, will I take the initiative? Will I, will I confront them gently? You see, for me, this can be really tough. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recollect an old Geico commercial. I don't know if you know Geico. It's a pretty, pretty popular brand. But normally it's like the adage is like, hey, can 15 minutes really save you 15% or more in your car insurance? And then it usually, the answer is like, uh, in this commercial was, is Abe Lincoln really honest? And then this old black and white footage comes up. And uh, Abe Lincoln's standing there, and this lady trots on. It's, you know, it's very jittery. And uh, she says, does this dress make me look big? And Abe Lincoln is like, ah. And for probably a good three or four seconds, just stands there. And then he just, and so very, very difficult to do. And she walks off in a huff, okay? Um, that was not easy to do. But even less is when you have to say, I don't, I don't think you're walking with the Lord right now. Hey, I love you. I don't, I don't think this is, this is where you should be right now. That can be really hard because that could break a relationship, right? And that's something that we might fear instead of the Lord. But when we fear God, we know if I don't do this, I'm not obeying him. I need to follow him. I need to love him. And I need to love them, okay? And so Jesus actually uses, um, to continue on, uh, Jesus actually uses verse 13 um, when he confronts Satan. Um, he, he changes the words a little bit, but the idea is still there. Um, it really ties our fear into the idea of what we're worshiping, okay? So in verse 13, it says, "'Is the Lord your God you shall fear, and him you shall serve by his name, and by his name you shall swear.'" You see, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve, okay? Are we afraid? Are we letting something else conflict our fear? Because what happens is, if we're afraid of something else, that's going to lead us to worship. You shall not go after other gods, verse 14, the gods of the peoples who are around you. You see, if we're afraid of losing financial security for our kids, or if we're afraid our kids won't find a good career, what will we sacrifice for them? What will we tell them it's okay to sacrifice? Will we put church in the background, like, which is what God commands us to do. God commands us to be in gathering. Will we put that in the background if it means they get a better career? So what are, we, what are we more afraid of? I think that sometimes our fear leads us to a really bad place and a, and a place that's walking away from his commandments. So do we fear sin more than we fear God? Do we fear what the future might bring over the need to serve him right now? Do we fear our health to an unhealthy degree? That was a joke. You see that because it's a health and unhealth. Never mind. Um, None of these things are really sinful concerns by themselves. It's not wrong to want financial security for your children. But if that is coming in between you and God, again, that's what an idol is. It's idolatry. It's when you put that above God and you say, this is what we're serving. Hey, family, this is the culture we're setting. We're putting this as first. When you teach them that, not by, maybe not by your lips, maybe not what you're saying, but in your actions and in, in your day-to-day and the atmosphere you're creating, that's what you're saying to them. That's what you're saying to your roommates. Okay, so these things can never, though, give us what they promise. Only God can give us safety as we confidently fear him and turn away from evil. You see, the fear of man brings a snare, Proverbs 29 says, but 
um, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So if we really want safety, we ought to flee. We ought to run to the Lord instead of to these things. How are we setting then a culture for the fear of the Lord in our homes, through our hospitality, through our roommates, our spouses, our parents, our children? Um, I don't want to use Matt's joke again, but here we are. Um, the fish is swimming and then hits the wall, and he says, ah, it's a, it's a wall. I'm not going to say what he says. Um, it's a wall. But when you fear God and you're calling your family to fear him, this is a stop that's put in place. This is a wall that's put in place to restrain them. And sometimes it's like, ah, this isn't making me happy, but I care more about the fact that you're right with God than that you're happy because that's the better thing for you. It's not better that you're happy in this moment. Ah, I wish I could do this thing, but mom and dad, it's like, this is where we stand. And I love you so much that I'm willing to stand in the way. You see, something has to be done out of love for the people in our family and in our homes. But the way we do that is very important. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 tells us to restore other believers in a spirit of gentleness. So we're not taking out the knives and going, all right, hey, you know, you better sit down. You better not sit anymore or I'm going <laughs> to pop you right in the eye. This is a spirit of gentleness because we recognize that we are sinners too. We recognize our own frailty. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, and it tells us to restore them because of our frailty. And so one of the ways that, um, a good example for me, I, you probably wouldn't believe this, um, I have a tendency to worry. So that's, that's something that I struggle with from time to time. Um, and usually when that's happening, and Amy can see it, she's like, hmm, how many inches have you added to your height today? I'm like, oh, Matthew 6, all right, she got me. Um, but you know, she didn't have to tell me I was stupid. She didn't have to like run me over with the car. Like, uh, hopefully that doesn't get to that point. But you see, without with all by referencing me back to Scripture, she pointed me right back to Christ, uh, just through that that reminder of of the Scripture. And sometimes it has to be a little bit more in the way because someone's about to hurt themselves. I get that, but this should never be done. Correction and this type of discipline and a calling us back to the fear of the Lord, so that we are fearing Him and our children are fearing Him and their children are fearing Him should never be done in a spirit of frustration. It should never be done because we want something out of it. This is because we love them. Um, Cotton Mather was a New England Puritan uh, author and clergyman. Um, in the late 1600s, 1700s, he said, do not by your lightness and weakness and folly suffer them, that is to allow them, your children, to trample upon you, but keep up so much authority that your word may be a law unto them. Nevertheless, do not let your authority be strained with such harshness and fierceness as may discourage your children. To treat our children like slaves and with such rigor that they shall always tremble and abhor to come into our presence, this will be very unlike our Heavenly Father. I was like, man, that is really important. How do we know that that's what our Heavenly Father is like? He isn't just judgment and death and justice how can we know that? Well, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 11. We'll, we'll kind of go there. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 11 to 11. Um, discipline ought to be done out of a love for God and for His words. It ought to be done to call them back to Him. This isn't, again, this isn't because I'm upset that they're doing something that makes me look bad. That's not discipline. That's not, that's not how we ought to correct. That's not a fear of the Lord. That's a, that's a fear of mom and dad. Okay, we don't want them to fear us. We want them to fear the Lord. Okay? 
And so in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 5, we read, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For, if they, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so as we walk through this passage, I just want to kind of walk back through this. His reproof, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. He, he calls us out. He disciplines us. He chastises us which is a reference um, to a Jewish practice of flogging with a whip. This is a very physical representation of God's discipline for His real sons, the sons that He loves, the ones that He loves. And we are called to endure that as Christians. But I want you to get that here, that this is the fatherly love. This is the fatherly disposition. This is the fear of God that we're seeing played out here. It's not about frustration. It's not about Him getting revenge. It's about, He says here um, in verse 10, or actually, yep, in verse 10, he disciplines us for our good. This is for your good because I love you, because I want you to walk in his ways and his statutes and his commands. This is so that the peaceable fruit of righteousness, though this, this discipline stinks, I don't want to be here. I don't want to have to do this. I'd rather just have everything happy and everything go well, but that's not how we grow sometimes, Okay. And so for children here, we desire that our home's temperature include this element of the fear of the Lord with our eyes on our kids' holiness and the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's what our goal is for our children. We desire, we strive, we pray that they might come and abide in Jesus. And so uh, we're not going to go into the Proverbs today, but when you hear Proverbs that talk about using the rod, that talk about this discipline and it's usually associated with a love. You see that even in the Proverbs. This isn't outside of the character of the Lord. And so it's our call to love our children really well. And um, now hear me out. You may be in a situation right now where you're stewarding children who have been in really tough situations. So I'm not discounting that or, or calling you out on that. In fact, I understand that. There's, there might be a, a place where physical restraint and discipline is just, you just can't do it because of where they've been or where you've been in your family situation growing up. Um, there might be some really tough situations. All you may be able to do is stand in the way. You might only be able to say no. You might only be able to prevent them from hurting themselves or doing something foolish. I can't speak into every parenting situation here, but my thought is how to, to ask, how can you inculcate? How can you, you drive home how can you set the temperature to a healthy fear of the Lord in your home, such as it is, where you guys are at? And for us, uh, one of the things that I do, even with physical restraint, even with discipline, I hug my children and I tell them what my father-in-law told my, uh, my wife and her sisters when they were growing up. He always said this. He said, I'll love you 
I'll always love you, and there's nothing you can do to make me stop loving you. You see, even in physical discipline, we can take them right back to the gospel. We can take them right back to the fact that even though they messed up, even though they made a mistake, that they are already forgiven. Jesus already paid for your sins. You are forgiven, and there's grace there. You made a mistake, yes, but I love you, and that will never change. And so even from this, even with the fear of the Lord, out of a love for them, we can point them back to the gospel. As it stands, we are watchmen on the wall, warning our children of the dangers to come from without and from within. And God is a wonderfully merciful God who is quick to forgive, but his judgment is a real thing, okay? Now, the crucial thing to consider here is like, okay, fear of the Lord, woo, that's crazy, that's pretty strong. But fear, the fear of the Lord is not the end. It's not the fullness of God. It's not uh, the fullness of wisdom. It's only the beginning of knowledge. And so as we turn our, you don't have to turn there, I'll be on the screen, but uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 and 19, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So fear gives and brings wisdom and is an aid to our motivation in serving God. And I don't have time to go into all of this right now, but we're still called to fear of the Lord. You can even find that in 2 Peter, is a great, 2 Peter 3 is a great place to reference. There's still an awe of God and a fear, but we're, we no longer have to be afraid of the punishment that would come uh, eternal damnation, obviously. So this fear is cast out by love. It's perfected in love. Um, but it, can, it can't be the only thing in our, our homes. It has to be love as well, which is my second point, an all-encompassing love for God. And we'll start in ver- uh, Deut- Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 4. Um, and I guess I would reference before we start that, that God has already been telling them about this. In Deuteronomy 5, he actually says, hey, I'm a God who is a jealous God, and I will show judgment on those who hate me for four generations. And you're like, whoa, that's a lot. That's pretty intense, like for the fathers and the children. They're like, that's a lot of generations. But then he says, but I will show steadfast love and mercy for thousands of generations. So as great as his judgment is, his mercy and his steadfast love and his forgiveness is greater. He is quick to mercy and slow to wrath. Okay, and so even as we get into this, we're seeing the full picture. Deuteronomy 6 gives us the full picture of who God is. And so let's start in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, or hear, or Shema, as it said. And they, they, they actually repeat this um, as part of their, their daily prayers, or they did back in the first century. Um, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Man, that is all over the place. See, he's already been revealing himself, Deuteronomy 4. Um, he talks about, here's who I am. I pulled, you like what other God pulled you out of Egypt, would pull you, take you from another people through all these signs and wonders and all these, these dangers and things and bring you here. What other God could do that? I'm doing all of this to show you that I love you and I'm the only one that can do that. I'm, there's no other God like me. There is no other God. I am and I love you. And, and see, God is showing that. And then he's saying to them, hey, 
I want you to love me. Hey, Israel, this is who I am. I want you to love me. So roped into all of this, we have the nature of our loving God. The Lord, our God. Verse 4, the Lord is one. And Matthew Henry says, it's better to have one fountain than a thousand cisterns, one all-sufficient God than a thousand insufficient ones, and that He is our all, and our all must have our all. Okay, so the really cool thing about this is the one, the Lord our God, He's revealing Himself. He's saying, I love you. And He's saying, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That word one there is actually... It's not just a mathematical one, which it is, like you can even see the Pharisees going, ah, okay, it means there's none other beside him, there's only one God, yes, but it's also the word for like unity. And so if you, if you go back to uh, Genesis, you would see when it says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife and they too shall be one, it's a, that's the same one there. And so he's saying the Lord our God, the Lord is one, it, and uh, it is and leaves open the idea of the Trinity, which is that the, the, we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So God being love from all of eternity, the, the Father's love for His Son is spilling out onto His creation and onto us. So the, the cool thing about this is, is, is this um, is revealing, pretty revealing about who God is. Um, Jesus included the Shema, or the here passage as well, when He was answering questions about, um, a scribe came up and said, what is the greatest commandment? Um, trying to to see where Jesus would go with this. And Jesus said, Here is, O the Lord our God is one. And then he said the greatest commandment. Um, because this is eternal life, John 17, to know him, the only true God, and his son whom he sent. We may come to, that we may come to know him truly so that we can love him. In Deuteronomy 6, he's saying, Hey, this is who I am. I pulled you out of darkness. I pulled you out of the, out of the slave state, and I made you my people, and I'm calling you my people, and I'm calling you to love me because I loved you. Now love me. Um, so let's consider this. First John, uh, I think of the verse, First uh, John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Behold, like look at it, what kind of love is that? That he would call us out of darkness into light. That he would take a people, it says in Luke, that's set in great darkness and they're like, there's a light. I can see light again. I can walk again. I can run again. First John chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He sent his son into the world, that, and God made his love clear. He made it manifest. Here it is. This is the love of God, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So remember the wonder of his love. Remember what he's done for you. Behold the love of God. There is no other God like him. I am the God, and I pulled you out of darkness, and I love you, so love me. So this is where that temperature comes in. We see the fear of the Lord, but it is undergirded by the all-encompassing love of God, which is to love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. He wants it all with everything that we've got. I love verse 6 because it just goes right into, it goes to the next logical progression. 
because it says, and these are the words that I command you today, shall, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. We're thinking now, how can I follow God? What can I do to serve Him? How can I love Him more? Now it's not just, uh, uh, He is an awesome God. He's, I, 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 like, I fear not obeying Him. Yes, but now I love Him. Now I can't wait to see what He's telling me. Now I can't wait to get into His Word. This should permeate our minds. And it may be in a place, you may be in a place right now, uh, I was talking with a friend a couple of weeks ago where he's like, I just, I lost kind of the zest for getting in the Word of God. And I would encourage you to keep pressing in there and asking God to fill your heart. And sometimes it's just letting his words be on your heart, meditating on what he's talking about. His word is on our hearts. Let's think about it. Let's dwell in it. Um, how are we following the Lord? Am I pursuing him with everything I've got? Is my family? First uh, John 3, 16 talks about how loving God means loving others. And see, this love isn't just going to stay here, just like it spilled out from the Father who loved His Son and created all these and created these things through His Son, like the love of God is spilling out. So when we love Him, we're going to love what He loves. That means the people around us. That means our families. It's going to permeate our family life. It's going to pervade, not just to sit down, the devotional times or the preaching times right now, but every time, the before service, the after service, we steward the moments for Him diligence in teaching your children. It says in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. We're going to, it's like, I failed today. Well, great. Let's get up and let's do it again. Let's do it diligently. Let's run hard after him. And it doesn't have to be fancy. Like you can make it fancy. That's great. But it doesn't have to be fancy. You could be at the grocery store in the candy aisle. We all know the kids love candy. Ah. Um, and it's embarrassing. And you're just like, come on, shut up, kid. Let's go. You know, like, we just want to get through. We want to get them through. Let's get, it, let's get this thing done. But that's the moment. That's the moment to say, hey, what should we be finding our joy in? Hey, what can we give thanks in? In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So we can share his word there. We can share his word when you have to pause the housework. Because everyone knew uh, I was going to get it done really, really quickly if the kids hadn't interrupted me, obviously. Um, or the time that uh, She's pushing back on everything that you've asked her to do. I'm asking her to clean up the base. I'm not saying her name, but I've narrowed it down to two suspects. Um, and she feels like she should be able to tell dad what he should do, not dad being able to tell her what to do. And I'm like, okay, let's sit down. Let's talk about Ephesians 6. Um, or it can be dinner time when we're just learning a verse together and, and doing a catechism together. We're just kind of talking through doctrines and learning things together. It could be picking verses that are on your heart, like, hey, here's what God taught me today. Let's talk about it. Doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be. This can be calling each other out when we're sinning. This can be sharing the word of God. It's, it's like, um, I think of Malachi 3.16 who said, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And I was in the midst of a culture that was like, it's a weariness to serve him. I can't, can't wait to get out of here. You know, that was where their hearts were at, but there were people. He, Lord saw there are people that love me. There are people that won't stop talking about me. Well, they not just shut up. And um, Amy's younger sister uh, told this later in her testimony. It's like, my mom would not stop talking about God. Why won't she stop talking about God? And she wasn't saved yet. Um, but miraculously, like, God saved her. And so it was, really, it was a really neat um, testimony. Relationships, I get it, take time to get deeper. So we shouldn't go up and I should be like, hey, Don, let's, let's talk about predestination today. And they're like, whoa, like, I don't know you yet. Let's, 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 let's wait a moment um, before, before we start getting into these. Like, you don't have to be weird about it. Like, we don't have to, 
Um, but what you can do instead is say, hey, let's build those relationships. But when you do, dive deeper. We should have a holy, I'm looking at the scripture here, talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you bind them for a sign upon your hand, they should be as frontless between your eyes. What we're looking at, what we're thinking about when we walk out of our house, when we come back to our house, when we're walking through our days, it, we should have a holy discontent for shallow conversation that never goes any deeper about God. Like we need to learn and we need to have those other conversations. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but it shouldn't only stay up here surface level. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, okay, bye. Um, that should not be the depth of our conversation. Oh, we, we never got deeper. We should have a holy discontent for shallow conversation that never talks about God. It should be in our hearts. And then it will, because we love him, because we love him, because he first loved us. And it can be fancy too. Um, uh, you could do like an evening devotional uh, worship time with your kids. That's perfect. That's great. Um, but the cool thing about it is, you're like, I don't know if I could do that. Like, I don't think I know enough to be able to do that. It's like, great, get a devotional book. We'll have resources and an email that goes out later. Get a devotional book. Um, because the thing is, I'm the pastor and I'm learning stuff with my kids. Like, I, the stuff that goes into the sermon, I've picked up from my kids, like the, <laughs> just thinking about Nadab and Abihu recently. Like, I'm learning stuff with my kids as I'm talk, taking them through the scripture and teaching it to them for the first time. And we ought to be, just have a passion for it. Um, the kids ought to see that dad loves God's word. The kids, our roommates ought to see that we love God. Our, our, our spouses should see that. Um, this is setting a culture. This is setting a temperature for the love of God. It's time, it's my time to grow too. Um, and see, this will set up for questions and allow them to ask questions. We'll get into that. But see, both of these things, both of these points, a, a healthy, a reverent fear of God and an all-encompassing love for God will lead to the glory of God. That's my third point. And let's turn to John chapter 15. It's a pretty cool passage. Um, this one's free of charge. Um, actually, it's all free of charge, I think. Um, but the context setting up is, without him, we can do nothing. We, he is the vine, we are the branches, we abide in him. If we stay in him, abide in him, stay in him. Um, and so in verse 7, we'll say, he says, let me find it here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you that your joy may be full, um, excuse me, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so I'd love to just direct your attention to verse 7 when it says, if you abide in me, stay in me, and my words abide in you. Do you remember that anywhere else? This is like the teacher that's like, this is going to be on the test. You should probably write this down. Um, if you write that down, it'd be fantastic. Verse 7, words, his words abiding in you, and his word will be on your heart in Deuteronomy 6. You see, because we're thinking about and we're loving and we're pursuing him and we're abiding in him and we're doing his commandments. And then it says, if verse 8, by this is my father glorified. By this is my father brought glory that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. They're like, whoa, that person's pretty wise. There's something about that. Whoa, they serve Jesus? Like this is, there's, a, there's a, a glory that happens because of who he is. And so it takes the glory away from us and it puts it on him. His glory is felt and experienced when we abide in him, when we stay in him, fearing 
and loving him leads to fruit, and fruit glorifies him, as it says in Matthew 5, 16, so that they may see your good works in heaven, or excuse me, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And the thing about it is, he doesn't just, just say, hey, do this. He says, these things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And we think about joy, Jesus had joy as well. And this isn't like the happy circumstance kind of joy. This is the uh, Jesus looking for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross because he saw ahead. Because, and there is joy in that moment even because he was looking ahead. This is a promise that God is giving us. Like God gave the people of Israel many promises, and he's giving us this promise. that when we abide in him, when we abide in his love, when we're staying him, when we're pursuing him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, when we're staying in the Lord, when we came, and it's all through his power, again, but when we stay in him, there is a promise, there is joy that will come from that. You see, and so if we pop back to uh, Deuteronomy 6, um, Israel, by their fear and love, would exude this savor of God to those around them. The neighboring states would look and they'd be like, wow, man, the, these people have wisdom. These people have understanding. And, and uh, it's in chapter four, verses six and eight. You can write that down. I'm not gonna go through the whole thing, but it says, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Wow, they are amazing. And look, they have the Lord, their God. Um, what other nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as this law that I've set before you today? What other God loves like this God? What other God is like this God? You see, we bring him glory. And Jesus came to bring this reality to pass. Um, he came to bring this reality to pass. And it's not just for neighboring, it's not just for the watching world, which is an amazing part of this. When our family, the love of God is in our family, the fear of God, it spills out and it's, it's missional in a sense as well. So people around us get to see that, people not in our home. But for the people in our home, it's also a reality Look in verse 20 of chapter 6. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and against all of his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all, the, all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. You see, when we, um, when we are living out a life that is full of the all-encompassing love of God and the fear of God, that will lead to a display of the gospel. We get to share the story. Mom, Dad, why do you do this? This is weird. Like, it's because of the gospel. It's because of what Jesus did for me. You see, Jesus pulled me out of darkness. I was in death, and he brought me to life. We can tell our story, which is really his story. So where are you stewarding your kids? Where are you stewarding the home environment that you're in, whether it's in a dorm or whether it's with your family or whether it's with uh, another family right now? Um, if you asked others, say your spouse, your kids, your roommate, what is the most important priority in my life? What would they say? Uh, I hope my kids wouldn't say, oh, Taco Bell or Panera. <laughs> I said, you kids, you know, you weren't supposed to say that. My hope is that they would say, Jesus, his God. And guess what? The God that dad has, I have him too. I, I want him to be my God too. See, what are we teaching our, in our homes about God? What kind of savor are we leaving of him? Are we leaving a savor where it's like, wow, 
seems like a God that I would like to serve. Like, or are we leaving a savior of a God that's like, eh, it's kind of the guy, it's like the little statuette that we put on the mantelpiece, we can put him away and we can bring him out when we need to bring him out. Or is this a God that encompasses everything? Is he really the one true God? Is he really the God that pulled you out of darkness? And if he is, do your kids believe it? Do your kids want that? Do your roommates think that? Um, so what kind, what kind of God are we showing to them? And we can show them the, the true God, the one true God through the reverent fear of God and all-encompassing love for God. We can show his glory. So what is your chief end? And I would say, first of all, that they may be saved. Whoever's in your influence, that they may be saved. They may know Jesus. Um, the second thing is that they might be salt and light. Um, I would say like Stephen. If you know Stephen, he was a deacon in the early church. Um, and he preached an entire sermon starting from Abraham just, just to show the, the, the Pharisees and the Jews at the time that they were persecuting the prophets. They were just as bad as their forebears. And they were not following God. They were not keeping the law and that they ought to turn to Christ. You see, he knew the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. And whether that was from his family life growing up or whether that was from, you know, it shows a passion and a love for God. Okay, and so one of the things that my mom did for me um, for a while, she had a three-ring binder, and every day we would sit down with this three-ring binder, and we would go through these verses, and it got, the three-ring binder got a little bit larger, a little bit larger, and I can't remember how long it was, but I know today that because of what she did there, like I still have verses that are bouncing around in my head um, today because of what she did for me, um, because of the time that she took to teach me God's word. Not just to sit down and say, all right, let's go. Let's get this done with. Well, that says something about God when you do that, right? But when you're like, hey, we're sitting down. This is something I want to teach you. It's important. We love him, and uh, we desire that our families might love him too. The next generation needs to know, love, and obey him. So moving past these very first necessary steps, our homes should be de developing examples of vibrant awe and love. It ought to encompass the whole atmosphere when we lie down, when we rise up, when we sit when we stand. So uh, a verse reference that I'll give you for later, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to like the end, um, is a great passage just to talk through what, what love looks like, what hospitality looks like, what can it look like in our home to pursue him. Um, I think of a couple of examples of culture, our family temperatures that are set. Um, if you've ever been over to Scott and Laura's house, they have a table that I feel like has like 17 eaves or 17 leaves to it. I feel like that thing could just keep it going. I don't know. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, and Kenya can correct me later. But I feel like it's just a huge... But it, again, it sets a pace for hospitality, and they're known for hospitality. Uh, I think of Jeff and Sally's property. Like, we've been invited out there so many times. You can you know, go hunt out there. You can, you can fish. You can, we can talk around the fire, and there's community that's fostered there. There's Christian hospitality. We are showing one another as we invite one another in. Um, I think of the Smith's place. We've been there quite a bit as well. And so, uh, minus the extended driveway, that's another story. I'm not going to talk about that right now. Um, anyways, uh, home isn't just a bunch of things that we check the box on. It's lived out, and it creates a temperature and an environment when we love God, when we fear Him, and we bring His glory. So, it's, it will spill out from our families. He's worth it. There's so much more fullness and joy than anything the world could ever give you and ultimately your families or your houses. This is what your kids need, you and your children and their children. So at the end, you can look ahead. You can see, okay, now we can't, I can't forecast what their hearts are going to do. That's in God's hands. 
but I can set the pace. So if, they, if they're going to walk away from the Lord, they know what they're walking away from. It won't be like a, well, we didn't, we didn't hear, we didn't know. They will know. And like watchmen on the wall, we can be faithful before God in it. So let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, you are the one true God. And we thank you for this time that we just get to learn from your word, that we get to hear from you, Father. I pray that you would today, wherever people are at, that if they need a healthy fear of the Lord, maybe that's not where they've been. Uh, maybe they've been kind of running from you in a sense or fearing other things. I pray, God, you'd move those things out of the way. I pray, God, you would give them a healthy fear of God and to, to depart from evil and to pursue you. I pray that you give them a love. I pray, Father, that you bring forth your glory now. And so is my Father glorified that they bear much fruit. I pray, Father, this body would bear much fruit through the summer um, and through their families, Father, as those atmospheres are being set. I pray, Father, you change hearts and work in lives, help children, help parents, help spouses, help roommates, God, work in them. And uh, just I pray that they would be challenged today that your word would go forward and do the, have the effect that it will have. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for your power and for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.